Guys, welcome to Salt Company. It's good to see you guys. Woo! I was a little loose, you know. All right, we're good. So, good to see you guys. Hope you guys are having a great Thursday. Guys, I hate to be this guy, but the weather this week, I mean, fire, right? Amazing. I mean, I got to take a walk the other day, and my face didn't hurt, and I was like, Jesus loves me. When's the last time you've taken a walk and your face didn't hurt? That's a great blessing in your life, okay? Really excited to be here with you guys. My name is Tony. Uh, I'm on staff with the Salt Company, and I am particularly excited to be here because tonight we're going to begin a new series in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to spend, yes, Romans chapter 8 is such a good chapter of the Bible. Thank you, Bennett. Okay, Romans chapter 8, it's so good, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys because we're going to spend the next four weeks of us time together walking through the chapter of Romans 8, and here's what we're praying that God would do in Romans 8. We pray that God would actually begin to transform you and set you on a trajectory for loving God's word that would make you follow Jesus 50 years from now when life gets hard. And it's not always easy, it's not always fun, it's not always hype, but that Jesus would be made beautiful for you and the word of God would transform you. And we pray that that would happen tonight as well. So let me pray as we enter into the message tonight. Yeah, Father, thanks for the good weather. Thanks that we get to be here together. Thanks for the good gift that is this family. Thanks for the ways that you're transforming people. Thanks for Elisa's story, that she was able to go to a conference and encounter you, Jesus. And Father, we do pray that you would encounter us tonight, that the word of God does not come back void. So we pray that as Romans 8 is introduced in our series tonight, that all of us would be changed. That it wouldn't be about the person sitting next to us, that we wouldn't be thinking about the test tomorrow or the different stuff going on in our lives, but we would believe that Jesus, you have something special you want to say to each and individual person here. That, Father, you want to give us life and life abundantly. Not the life of sin, not the life of brokenness, but you want to give us true life. And, Jesus, we believe that you're going to do that tonight. And so, Father, would you work in supernatural ways and do what only you can do in spirit? Would you be heavy in this room tonight? And would we leave this place different? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, here's my intro. <clears throat> Have you guys ever noticed that there are things in life that just don't make sense? Okay, I'm going to take you guys back to a Thursday in the fall. I just preached what I would consider a pretty chunky sermon, okay? It was pretty tough. I messed up on a lot of my words. There was this girl in like the 14th or 15th row that started to fall asleep, which by the way, I can see you. I know it's crazy, but I really wanted to be like, uh, PSA. 14th row, third seat. Do not fall asleep during the sermon. I want to do that so bad, but I didn't. I had self-control. It was the spirit. Um, she was falling asleep. Pretty tough one. I've had a couple this fall. You might have been there. Thanks for showing up. Anyway, so tough day. Get into my car. Feeling sad, you know. And I'm like, you know what? There's one thing that I really want right now other than Jesus and the gospel. I crunch wrap supreme. You know what I'm saying? You've ever had one, you're like, I get it, the culinary perfection. You're like, come on, Doritos Locos Tacos, you know what I mean? I was like, come on, I need some Taco Bell right now. So I go, I drive to Taco Bell, I get in the parking lot, I'm so excited. And I start noticing bad signs. I'm like, why is it so dark in this parking lot? It's like they should really invest in their exterior lighting, you know? Like it would make it so much more comforting. And I go up to the drive-thru and I go to the thing that usually talks back to you. You're like, ah, what do you want? I'm like, all these things. And that was also off. And I realized that. Taco Bell had closed. And I was like, 
what in tarnation? I mean, I was like, are you kidding me? It was 11 p.m. I'm like, what? That makes no sense. Like, the only times I ever want Taco Bell is when it's late and I'm lonely. You know what I mean? Like, midnight munchies. How can you have those when it's 11 p.m.? I'm like, this makes no sense. Okay? That worked for some of you guys who really like Taco Bell at, like, midnight. You're like, I feel it. Honestly, it's been tough. Um, another thing that makes no sense, this will hit all of us in this room, is the amount of zeros on your yearly college tuition. I mean... Have you ever thought about that? Like, where does that money go, you know? Just be like, what, is Brad Pitt gonna be my guest professor today? I'm just like, what, why am I giving you $40,000 right now? Like, that is, it makes no sense, because you look at that number and you're like, I'm a student, I don't even make that much money. So how does this math work? Like, I, I have to pay for roof, food, and tuition, and I don't even make that much money. It's frustrating, makes no sense, right? College tuition makes no sense. Okay, so why am I opening up the sermon tonight? Talk about T-Bell, mostly because I'm still hurt by that encounter intuition is because there are a lot of things in life that actually don't make any sense. And I want us to think about this for a second. We live in a world of contradictions. And one of the things that I find most peculiar about the world that we live in is that billionaires exist. Like one person owns enough money to like fill this place up with $100 bills, right? Which is a lot of money. And yet billions of people are starving every day. So how, how does that work? Or, or how does it work that we live in a society that promises you that if you look within yourself, that you kind of look for purpose, joy, happiness, meaning, it's all within yourself, then you will find true joy. And we also live in a society of a mental health epidemic where people have looked within themselves and haven't liked what they found. And maybe the scariest thing in life is not just when the world around you doesn't make sense, but the world inside of you doesn't make sense. And I think there's something that happens to all of us where our beliefs don't align with our behaviors. And we may believe things like, oh my gosh, I believe that every human being is made in the image of God, dignified regardless of their ethnicity, their gender, whatever it is. But we also are addicted to porn, which is an industry that primarily affects minority men and women and destroys their dignity in their bodies. Or you're here and you're like, okay, I put my worth in Jesus. Like, Jesus has the final say over who I am. My identity is in Christ. But you catch yourself every couple minutes going back to the IV that is Instagram or Snap just to feel something. To feel like your life matters and your life has a purpose and that people affirm you. And isn't this somewhat of the human dilemma? That all of us have beliefs that are detached from our behaviors, that we behave in a way that often aren't in alignment with who we want to be. And tonight, that's the conversation we're going to be having, and it's not going to be a super light conversation. I like to be jokey. You guys know that. It's going to be, it's going to be hard because my hope is for all of us that we would bump up against that idea of what does it mean to actually diagnose the human dilemma and what does it mean to find the cure for it. So that's where we're going tonight. One is the human dilemma's diagnosis, and two is the human dilemma's cure. Look with me to Romans chapter 7, verses 22 to 24. Oh, man. I guess we get thirsty, you know? I don't know. It's, it's hard, you know? You got to talk for a long time. <clears throat> got to take a swig. All right. I always make that noise every time. I'm just like, oh, it's like, okay. I'm like in my early 20s. I need to chill out. All right. People are so annoyed by like, stop making that noise. Okay. 
Verse 22. <laughs> Let's read God's word together. Oh, man. I'm in a mood. Okay. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So this is the Apostle Paul speaking and writing. And here's who Apostle Paul was. He was an apostle chosen by Jesus and began the greatest missionary movement in all time. Historians would look back and look at the man of Paul and say, man, that guy lived a man of character. That guy lived a man of pursuit of Jesus that was unparalleled. That guy began a missionary movement that moved from a small Jewish sect to a Christian religion that would span seven continents, hundreds of languages, and billions of people would be impacted. And yet this is the human diagnosis that Paul gives himself. Verse 24, I am a wretched man. So I think Paul understood what a lot of us don't understand, that he understood his human dilemma. That even as a Christian, even as an apostle, even as someone who knew and loved Jesus, that his beliefs didn't match his behaviors. That he believed that the law of God was good. Yes. He was like, you know what? I spent my life preaching the Bible. But then the flesh of his body would continually draw him to sin. Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase that I think will be really helpful for us to understand this text. And as I read this out to you, here's my ask for you. Is would you not give yourself a caveat or an asterisk to get out of this? Would you not say, oh, well, that's just Paul. That's just Tony. He's like extra broken, whatever. But I'm clean. I'm good. Would you come to this idea that all of us are broken and in need of healing with humility tonight? As I read over Eugene Peterson's words, I pray that it would help you understand the condition of man. It, parentheses, falling into sin, happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in with that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. That one tough. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? So, company, the conversation we're going to be having tonight is just that. Isn't that the real question? How do we answer the dilemma of the human condition? How do we answer when our beliefs and our behaviors don't align? And this is the diagnosis that the Bible would give us, that Jesus would give us, and I'm hoping to give you tonight, is sin. Now, I know that sounds really uncomfortable for some of us in this room. That's not something we use a lot in, like, cultural, secular language. You know, it's like calling someone a sinner is, like, super taboo, and you shouldn't do it. Except that's what the Bible calls all of us. See, sin isn't just a decision we make or actions we do that... But sin is actually a part of us. The way the Bible describes sin is actually it's a part of our flesh. It's a part of our bodies. Which means it's not something that we can choose necessarily all the time. Or it's not something that we chose at birth. But it was something that was born with us. So you think what the Bible has to say about sin is something that actually scares us. And maybe even offends us. That we were all born sinners in opposition to God. Okay, so the question is why? 
Why is it so important that we have an understanding of our sinful nature, not just an action or decision, but actually embedded within our flesh? Blaise Pascal once said this to describe the need to understand original sin. Certainly nothing offends us more rudely than this doctrine, original sin. And yet without this mystery, the most incomprehensible of all, we are incomprehensible to ourselves. We are incomprehensible to ourselves. See, here's what's true about your life. That unless you understand that original sin exists, and not just exists out there in the world, but in your heart, you will never understand why you do the things that you do. You'll never understand why as you look at your life, you're like, I don't understand why that's my life. It doesn't make sense. I don't. I don't want to be addicted to porn. I don't want to find my worth in what people say of me on Instagram. I don't want to find my worth in judging other people because they're not as Christian as I am. It doesn't make sense. And one day, surface-level answers won't cut it for you anymore. And you'll get to a day in your life as you look at your own soul, as you look in the mirror of who you are. And without this diagnosis of sin, you'll have no answers for why you become the person you've become. And so I see it as a great honor and a privilege tonight to talk about this idea of original sin because my hope is that when you know who you are, when you know the brokenness inside of you, you'll know who you'll need to run to. Tim Keller describes sin like this. Sin isn't just doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. And whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. See, I think for a lot of us, we've kind of grown up around church traditions, in church traditions, around church people. And here's what they say about sin. All right, here's five things to not do. As long as you don't do those, you're good. And some of you guys are like, all right, that's pretty tough. Some of you guys are like, that's pretty easy. And actually, that's what we call religious, pharisaical people. It's like, oh, I don't do those five things, and so I'm excused from this doctrine of original sin. But this is what sin is. It's not just a laundry list of things, but it is fundamentally believing that your desires are better than Jesus' desires, that your wants are more important than Jesus' wants. And here's what sin does. It enslaves you. It condemns you into a life of death because whatever that thing is that you value above Jesus, it will control you, it will enslave you, and it will lead you down a path of destruction. And here's how that plays out. If that thing that you wake up every morning looking for is affirmation, you'll be wildly insecure for the rest of your life, wondering if you'll ever be enough. If that thing that you're looking for is pleasure, You'll spend the rest of your life going all around the world, making all the money, getting all the things, and realizing that nothing will ever satisfy your soul. And that thing for you is sexual gratification. You'll give away your body in hopes of feeling wanted, only to feel empty. See, here's what's true about sin. It has a promise, and that promise is it will kill you. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. The impact of a life lived in sin is a life lived in death on this side of eternity and a life lived in death on the other side of eternity. 
all company, what is the cure? If that's the diagnosis, we must have a cure. Look with me to Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. That is an unbelievably loud noise. It's ridiculous. Let me read verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, this is like, this is not good news stuff. This is great news stuff. This is the promise for you if you are in Christ. That all that sin, all that brokenness in your heart, the stuff you don't even understand, the stuff that you find so disgusting, the stuff that kills you day by day, no longer has to enslave you. And this is the beauty of Jesus. That he did not come to give you a couple good teachings, to give you a couple kumbaya circles. He came to unlock the shackles of sin and shame in your life. He came so that we could finally live. That we wouldn't have to be people that are condemned to the life of sin, but we would get an opportunity of life in the spirit. And here's how he did it. He came to be like us, but was unlike us in so many ways. He came in the flesh, but not like our flesh, not like the flesh of your soul that desires sinful things. He came with a flesh that was pure and perfect and beautiful. He never sinned so that we wouldn't have to die to sin. And yet the one who was sinless died so that the sinners could live. This is the gospel. And anything short of that has been cheap grace sold to you. It is 30% of the real thing. But the whole thing is that even while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ came and got me. And here's the opportunity for all of us tonight. Is no matter what you've walked in here with, no matter what past, no matter what shame, no matter what sin, no matter what brokenness, Jesus Christ is offering you a way into the kingdom of God. Man, I love Jesus. He's so good. Amen. So that's amazing. But you might be asking yourself, how? How does knowing Romans chapter 8, verse 1 transform your life? How does that cure the human dilemma? When we look at Romans 8, verse 1, what we read between the lines is that as Jesus gave us no condemnation, what he was promising us was the love that he had for us on the cross. See, the cure to your biggest problems, the cure to the cancer of your sin is not behavior modification or discipline. It's love. See, here's what Romans 7 says about all of us. Here's what Romans 7 says about Paul, about you, and about me, that we are all wretched people in desperate need of God's grace. And here's what Romans 8 says about us. And Jesus is like, I'll take it all. I'll take every bit of you. This is the definition of love. And here's what I need you to know tonight, that I pray will begin to reorder your soul, that Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make broken people holy. 
This is how D.A. Carson describes humanity's needs and God's provision. This is so good. I read this quote in my book yesterday, I'll be honest, and I was like, man, I got to preach this. It's too good. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. Please, Jesus, on that one. Anyways, tough last eight years in our country. Okay, uh, second part. If he, had rec- if he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, and our death. And so he sent us a savior. See, God knew that what you need in your life is not just a little bit more money, you know? 10% pay raise, boom, still depressed. It's not a little bit more sex. It's not a little bit more affirmation. It's not a little bit more things. What he knew is that there was a big problem, and that's called sin leading to death. So he had to send a big solution, and that was himself. See, Jesus knew something that we often forget, that our biggest problems in life are not the daily, daily grind. It is not that test you have tomorrow. It is not that friendship that is strained. But it is that we are far from God, and our sin requires payment. As we close, I want to end on this. So how do we change? How do we live in the spirit and not in sin? Look with me to chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the minds on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Okay, here's what's true. Is the word mind in those verses is more than an intellectual belief. You know how we kind of talked about the original human dilemma? Belief doesn't always equate with behavior. It's more than that. What Paul is encouraging us to do is not just set our mind on the spirit, but to actually index our entire souls, our essence, who we are to the spirit. So all company, we change, not by surface level behavior modification or self-actualization pseudoscience, but we change by a deep transformative spiritual work that can only be done by Jesus himself, by his spirit. And here's the application of the message tonight. Set your mind, your heart, and your soul on the words of Jesus, and by his spirit, he will make those words, not just words on a page in Romans 8, Not just words on a page written over the Bible, but deeply real within your life. And you will begin to change. And the ordered, disordered loves of your heart will change. See, Augustine speaks about sin like this, that all sin is ultimately due to a lack of love. And here's the reality for you. Is you sin because you don't know that you're loved. And you think you know that you're loved and you've come in here and you've sang a couple Christian songs. You're like, I'm loved, Tony. I get it. You do not know that you're loved. That the God of the universe wants relationship with you, not just the pretty side of you, not the stuff you post on Instagram, the real you. And when you know you're loved, you can finally learn how to love others. Here's the reality. We sin because we do not know we're loved. And so I'll come in here. I think this is the part that I struggle most with in Christianity. I know I'm supposed to have, like, all the answers for you, and I don't. But it's just true. I don't actually believe that I'm loved by Jesus most of my life. And so I look to sin because I'm like, man, if I could just sin, maybe I'll feel loved. And because I don't often feel loved by Christ, 
I hurt the people closest around me. And I'll be honest, I've carried in some shame tonight with that. Like, marriage is really hard, and my wife is really patient, but I'm a broken man in desperate need of healing. And there's parts of my soul that haven't been put to back, back together yet. And I'm fractured, and I'm sinful by nature, and I've been sinned against. And so because I don't believe often that Jesus Christ loves me for every single part of me, that it's not because of my goodness, but it's in spite of my brokenness that he loves me, I don't actually love people the way I want to. And here's my hope for all of us tonight. That Jesus would not only take away the sting of sin, but the weight of shame that you've carried in here tonight. That all of us would leave this place hearing the words of Jesus as louder than the words of man. That the words of Jesus in Romans 8, that there is no condemnation, would be louder in your ears than the father that once hurt you. Or the ex that left you. Or the world around you, that the words of Jesus would be the loudest words that you would hear, and that would actually begin to transform your soul. That this wouldn't be a spring of just showing up, attending Salt Company, high fiving a couple people, and leaving, but this would be a spring where Jesus Christ begins to transform your soul through his radical, reckless, unfailing love. I want to end this sermon a little bit differently tonight. I think the band's on his way. Anyways, whatever. Like, they left, like, so long ago. Like, they kind of left a little early, but they're back there. Anyways, it's like, oh, Leo, are you okay? We're going to end the sermon a little bit differently tonight. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And it's going to be different. I'm not going to pray. I know, crazy. You can pray on your own. It'll be fine. Here's how we're going to pray it. Here's how we're going to do this. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I'm going to ask you to... Put your hands out like this, or this, or you don't have to, whatever. It's not like a weird religious thing, okay? This is just like surrender to Jesus. And then I'm going to speak the words of Romans 8 over your soul and pray that the words of Jesus would be louder than the words of anyone else you've ever heard. So I want you to stand up. All of us, we're going to stand, we're going to do this thing, and then we're going to enter into worship. And I want you to put out your hands, and I want you to think of the thing the sin or shame in your life that has felt enslaving to you. The thing that you're like, oh man, like that's never going to get better. The words that someone said to me will never be healed. My addiction will never be free. And I want you to hold that thing in your hands and say, Jesus, can you take this from me? I believe you can. I believe that you're actually good enough that you came on the Christ. If you could go from heaven to earth onto the cross to die for me, then you can take this from my hands right now. That's true. Even if you don't believe it, that is actually true. So in a moment, I'm going to read over the words of Romans 8 over your life and pray that Jesus would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That he would answer for us the reason why we're broken, the diagnosis of our problem, but he would also give us a cure that we cannot do for ourselves. So Jesus, please, make us feel your reckless abandon tonight. Here we go. If you are in Christ, here's what's true about you. Not what someone said about you, not the way your father looked at you, not what your ex said about you, but here is what's true about you. Verse 1, you are not condemned. No longer does your sin or your shame of your life hold a grudge over you. You are not condemned. If you are in Christ, verse 6 is also true, that you are invited into the life of the Spirit and peace, no longer a life of death and fear. Verse 10, 
that you are the final resting place of God, that Christ is in you, which means here's what's true about your life, that no matter what you think about who you are as you look in the mirror, that you have immeasurable value in Christ. More than you could ever understand, he was willing to go from heaven to earth to the cross to death, back to heaven for you. You matter. You matter, but you're not the point. Jesus Christ is. You have immeasurable value. Verse 15. This one's so good. You are adopted into the family of God, which means that no matter who left you or the fractured family of origin you come from, that you have a family in this room and a family in heaven and a father who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, will be with you every step of the way. That is what's true. You are adopted into the family of God. Verse 17. You are heirs of God, set to gain the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Verse 24. You are saved in hope, which means starting tonight, if you don't know Jesus, you too can be saved in hope. And you never have to run back to dead things to try to find life. You never have to run back to sin to know who you are. You can know that you are a child of God tonight. You can be saved in hope. Verse 26, you have the Spirit in you, and He is for you. So even when you feel like giving up, Jesus Christ is with you in this moment, in your heart. He has given you His Spirit. He will not give up on you. Do not give up. Verse 28, you have a Father in heaven who is working all things for your good. Which means here's what's true. It's the stuff that you thought about last Thursday that's been broken in your past and that hasn't healed yet. Jesus is working it for your good, even when you cannot see it. Even when you do not believe that Jesus Christ is working it for your good. Last two here. Verse 37, you have been made a conqueror through Christ, which means next time sin knocks at your door, you knock back. Jesus Christ is with you. Last one, verse 38. You've been sealed by the Spirit of God, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No past sin, no present sin, no whatever forward. Nothing can separate you. Jesus Christ is here, and He will never give up on you. So don't give up. Fight this fight for 50 years, and tonight, let's worship like that is true. Amen?